want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 and also Genesis 27 this morning. Uh, if you're new around here, I want to welcome you. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at Strong Tower. Uh, we're glad you can be with us today. Uh, it is a day of celebration as we uh, get to worship together. And uh, I was also reflecting this morning on, uh, it was about a year ago to the day that we had to cancel worship when the pandemic began and we had six months of online worship only and uh, just to think about what we've been through in the last year as a church it has been a year uh, so i'm just grateful i was thinking this morning as i was praying how much our church has sacrificed over this year to serve and to give and to pray and to help people. It's just been such an incredible year uh, as we've come together to try to love on our community and the church and outside of our church. And so I was just really grateful, really grateful this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at verse 20, uh, just one verse, and then we're going to jump over to 27 or chapter 27 in Genesis and uh, look at the whole chapter. But I'm not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time. We'll just read the beginning of Genesis 27 and we will follow along as we walk through it together. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 says this, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, over to Genesis 27, this is where this story happens. Beginning at verse 1, it said, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt, game, or hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my, brother, my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, a blessed faith, a blessed faith. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, uh, we are so encouraged by your blessing over us this morning as we sung, uh, just to know that you speak over us. You speak favor over your children, not because of who we are, but because of who your son Jesus is. And so as we look at this text, may you work that truth deep into our hearts to believe it in every area of our life. God, help us to come away from this text thinking about you and, and how your favor and blessing is not what we deserve, but it's what we're given. And we pray that that truth would transform us in the power of the Spirit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, there's a man named Costi Hinn who wrote a book recently called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. And you might have heard of the book. It kind of went viral for a little while, a couple years ago. And, and it, it became famous because he's probably the least likely person to write a book criticizing the prosperity gospel. Because if you noticed his last name, his last name is Hinn. He is the nephew of the famous televangelist Benny Hinn. And so he writes in the book, he writes about his story growing up in what he calls the family business. He writes about growing up in in this uh, subculture of prosperity preachers and prosperity ministry and he says, we didn't even have very, a very large church because he was at his, his dad's church. He said, we didn't have a very large church, but still we were living in multi-million dollar mansions. We were traveling around the world in these private jets and we were uh, staying in these exotic remote hotels and all these different things. He said, because in his words, this was big business. He said, but I didn't think about how anything was wrong with it because I was told that if you did things for God, God would bless you. And so I just assumed that the reason we were living this blessed life is because we were doing good things. He said, it all kind of fell apart though one day when when I was asked to preach a sermon on John chapter 5, which is the story of Jesus healing a man at the pool of Bethesda. He said, as I was studying for this sermon, I was reading and it was so confusing because I'm thinking, Uh, this man is healed and it's not what Jesus does, it's what Jesus doesn't do. He says, I'm reading in John chapter 5 and there's this whole group of people who need healing. And first of all, Jesus only heals one man. One man. And then he says, the man he chose to heal didn't even have faith. He says afterwards to the people that he can't even remember who healed him. I mean, he didn't know Jesus so much, he couldn't remember his name. And yet he was healed. And Costi Hinn said that it was this revelation that God was speaking through his word to me that I needed to rethink what I believed. And it sent him into this spiral of trying to figure out what is the truth. And and he started to look into what he was believing and what was in the Bible. And he came to this conclusion that my whole world needs to be turned upside down. And he said it came from this question. What is the relationship between blessing and faith? Blessing and faith. Now, if if we're honest in this room, maybe you didn't live in a multi-million dollar mansion and you're not flying in jets and you're probably not staying in exotic hotels, but can you answer that question? What is the relationship between blessing and faith? Because I think if a lot of us were honest, we we would struggle to to give a good explanation of what the Bible means by blessing. Because if if, if you've been in the church for a while, you usually fall in two different categories. You're either afraid of blessings because you don't want to talk about it, or you're abusing blessings because you've bought into what he bought into. And often the people who are afraid and don't want to talk about it or even address it are because they've been a part of the abuses. You've seen people take advantage of others with money in the church. You've been around people who are money-hungry preachers. You've been around things that people have told you, well, if you just had a little more faith. You just had a little more faith. 
Right? So it's the abuses that make you feel as if, well, I, I don't want to be a part of those people. I don't want to be put in that camp, so I'm just not going to talk about it. And we end up with nothing. We end up with no theology of blessing. We end up with, with what I would call still a soft prosperity gospel because we've laid down the hard prosperity gospel and we've taken up what's still very rampant in our culture, which is a soft prosperity gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, if you do good things, good things will come back to you. If you, if you do the right things and, and live for God, then, then God will, will do what you need Him to do. So there's this kind of expectation that you may not believe you're going to get a mansion, but you at least believe He'll do X. Right? And, and, and so it, it's not as opulent, it's not as obvious, but... There is this deep down belief that if I do the right things, then God will do things for me. And that's what it means to be blessed. And in this culture is, is that we, we get the things that, that we desire. And so we assume, right? We assume the gospel. The gospel's somewhere in the background, but for the majority of our life, we live like the rest of Americans. We live with this expectation that we should put our energy and our time into financial planning just the way the world does it. We should put our energy and our time into fitness and exercise and diet because that's what the world does. We should put our time and our energy into self-help books with maybe a few scripture references so they can be called scripture. But really, we haven't thought through what does the whole life of blessing look like. Right? Because we've got the gospel which kind of takes care of spiritual things and makes sure we get to heaven, and then the rest is kind of whatever you think. You see what I'm saying? It's this soft prosperity gospel where really our expectation is that everything would always be getting better all the time. One lady told me, she said, in America, uh, Christians, we don't believe the prosperity gospel, we just live it. Ouch, right? We just live it. So whether you subscribe to it or not, we, we have this expectation. But what do you do with that? What, what is the relationship between blessings and faith? And that's where I want to come to this text today in our series. We're, we're continuing this series through Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is in the context of extreme suffering. Right? The early church is going through a hard time where they're trying to figure out why their definition of blessed is not matching up. Right? They were told, you come to Jesus and life will get better, and it hasn't. It's gotten worse. Their property's being taken. They're being persecuted by the government. People are questioning their, their beliefs in the Jewish community. I mean, they're getting fire from every angle, and they're wondering, you know, I thought blessed was a hashtag, like on Instagram, where the filter's perfect, and everything looks right, and everybody's smiling. It doesn't seem to be working that way. They find out that blessing is more actually like Jesus' Beatitudes, where he says, blessed are the persecuted, for they inherit the kingdom. They're living it now. And so Hebrews is written to people like you and I who are struggling with faith. Like sometimes that, that language of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 is unhelpful because it's not people with extravagant faith. It's people who are struggling in their faith, just like us today, trying to make sense of the world we live in and the, and the gospel of God. 
And so I want to ask the question today, how does the story of faith speak into our understanding of blessing? And the author of Hebrews speaks about this with the story of Isaac. And we actually come to the end of Isaac's life, and that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis 27 and look at this idea of of an enduring blessing, this, this blessing of faith. So if you're taking notes, first we've got to look at the power of blessing, the power of blessing. Go back to Genesis 27. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Isaac is the long-awaited son, the the promised son of Abraham, right? You remember a few weeks ago we looked at Abraham's life and, and Abraham had been waiting year after year after year for God to give the promised son. And so here he is, Isaac, now all grown up in his old age. He's about 130 or so. I mean, Isaac is old. He's feeling his death coming before him. And so his eyes are getting dim, which means he he can't really see well. His body's failing him. He realizes, I don't have much time left. I need to call Esau over and, and give him my blessing. And so he calls Esau, who's the firstborn son, and he says, hey, go, go prepare a nice meal for us. We're going to have a ceremony, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the blessing of the firstborn son. I'm going to pass on the blessing of God that God gave to my father Abraham, and Abraham gave it to me, and now I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to pass on this blessing. And in the Old Testament, especially in the the family of Abraham, the, the father's blessing in the Bible was more than we think of blessing today. Right? The Father's blessing came with property and money and security and all those kinds of things. And it was a, a formal legal status that was passed on to the firstborn son. I mean, it's kind of similar in some ways to the, the uh, modern last will and testament kind of thing. Uh, but it was also so much more. There was this deeply relational aspect of the blessing. The blessing was the opportunity for the Father to express to His Son how much he loved him. It was the opportunity for the father to speak words of affirmation over the son and say, you are valuable, you matter to me, you are worth something to me. And so the blessing often included this very intimate language. And so here is Isaac wanting to speak those words over Esau because he knows that the blessing will shape his life. The blessing will shape his identity. It'll shape his sense of worth and purpose. And so he wants to give this blessing because the, the, the most powerful person in the family, the father, was to say over them, you are valuable, you are special, you are loved. It was so much more than words. The blessing is actually the power of belonging. The power of belonging. Think about it like this. If you ever seen the movie Toy Story 3? Toy Story 3, at the end of the movie, if you've watched all the Toy Story movies, it's this emotional scene at the end of the movie where Andy, the young boy in the first couple movies, he was young, but now he's old, he's all grown up, and he's about to give away this box of toys, like all the, the main characters in the movie, if you've seen the movies. He's got this box full of toys, he's given it to this young girl named Bonnie, and they're standing outside of Bonnie's house, 
and he kneels down in front of her and he's got this box of toys and he pulls them out one by one and he starts to speak words over the toys. He starts to give this sense of blessing as he hands them over to the next generation. And as he pulls them out, he says things like, you know, this is the T-Rex. He's the meanest, fiercest dinosaur and this big grin on his face. And then he says, this is Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Don't ever separate them. They love each other. And then he, he talks about Buzz Lightyear, you know, and he says, Buzz Lightyear, he's the coolest toy I've ever had. He shoots lasers and he can fly. And then the girl says, is that all you have? And she looks over in the bucket and you could tell he wasn't ready to get rid of Woody. And so he pulls Woody out and he just looks at him with this grin, this, this overwhelming joy. And he, he says this, he says, he's been my favorite as long as I can remember. He's brave, kind, smart. The thing that makes him so special is he'll never give up on you ever. He'll be there for you no matter what. I mean, there's this sense that, that he is the favored one. He, he is the most precious, the most valuable, and all the other toys know it. All the other toys longed to hear the words that were spoken over Woody, spoken over them. Because the reason it's in the Disney movie is because it's in our human heart. It's in every single human heart, this, this desire for blessing. Like we, we instinctively know that, that we want blessing. And the reason we know is because we know blessing matters because words matter, right? We know instinctively that words matter. And, and it, it matters who says them. And, and the people who are closest to you in your life, they're the people whose blessing you desire the most, right? All of us, you grow up, you desire the affirmation and the approval of your earthly father. You desire the love and affection of your mother. You, you desire your friends and your co-workers and everybody that you care about, that they would speak words of life over you. There's this deep desire in you, and we, we instinctively know it, that we want that because it shapes our identity. It has the power to bless us and the power to curse us. How much more God's words? How much more the words of your heavenly Father who speaks over you? I mean, that, that's what this text is getting at. That, that's what Isaac is speaking over his son Esau. He, he's desiring to give God's words, not just his words, but God's words over his son. The most important words, right? God's words who, who have the most important words that, that can shape your identity. They can shape your sense of worth. They can shape your sense of purpose. They can shape no matter what's happened in your life, who you see yourself as. Right? It's what we just sang in that song, that who you say I am, that's who I am. Right? If, if you don't have somebody in your life who's said things over you that, that are true, that are, that are affirming, that are loving, that are kind, that are powerful, God says, my words are still greater. My words and what I say about you is still greater than anything anyone has ever said about you. That if you have his blessing you have his blessing, then you have the greatest favor you could ever have. It's his blessing. But here's the thing about blessing. You can't bless yourself. You can't bless yourself. I mean, blessing is about belonging, right? And therefore, if, if you have to belong in blessing, it has to come from outside of you. It, it can't come from within you. It has to come from somebody or, or something outside of you that says something about you. 
Tim Keller says it this way. He says, in order to be truly blessed, you have to have someone outside of you say it. He says, it's like this. You have to have smart people say you're smart. You have to have beautiful people say you're beautiful. You have to have uh, wealthy people say you're wealthy. Right? You can say things about yourself, but you know deep down if, if you just say something about yourself, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's what they say about you that, that brings you into their belonging. It's, it's what they say about you that, that gives you that sense of status. And it's the same thing in, in every area of blessing. Listen to this. This is why we're always searching for it. This is why we're always longing for, for that person in your life to say something about you. Because it's not enough for you to say it about yourself. It's not. It's not enough for you to say it about yourself. Someone else has to say it. And this, this is the trick in, in blessing. This is why we're, we're going after it. But this is where the problem steps in. And this is the next point. The problem of blessing. Look at verse 5. We, we see Jacob try to do this. Now, Rebecca, it says, verse 5, Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt, uh, hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Now, stop right there. Like, when, when Rebecca, who's Isaac's wife, hears this, she begins to make her own plans. And you got to kind of know the background to, to know why this is happening. See, when, when Rebecca had Isaac, or sorry, Esau and Jacob, they were twins, and you could immediately see the difference, right? You could immediately see that this was going in two different directions. You had Esau, who was the oldest. You had Jacob, who's the youngest. You had Esau, who was hairy, and uh, Jacob, who was smooth. You had Esau, who was this reddish tone, and Jacob, who wasn't. You, and then you had Esau, who grew up to be this warrior and this, this man's man. And then you had Jacob, who was hanging out at the tent cooking food with Rebekah. I mean, you had these very different men, these very different people. And what happened is you saw the dysfunction in their family. You see them grow up and Isaac loves Esau and Rebekah loves Jacob. And now when it gets to the end of their life, you see their divided family. I mean, you go back and you read the chapters that we didn't get to cover. They are a very dysfunctional family, very dysfunctional family. You see their marriage is just disaster by this point. But now you see Rebecca, she hears that Esau is going to get the blessing and she tries to stop it. She tries. You notice what it said? Isaac brought his son Esau and Rebecca spoke to her son. I mean, there, there's this us and them kind of attitude going on. And so Rebecca plots to steal the blessing for Jacob. And so she tells Jacob to go uh, prepare this meal, right? Go, go get some stuff and, and we'll make a meal. And then you're going to dress up like your brother and you're going to go in there and you're going to take the blessing. And Jacob's like, whoa, what, what are you talking about? Don't you notice these arms are smooth? He's like, you know, this, this is not going to work, Mom. This is, this is a terrible idea. If Dad reaches out and he grabs my hand, he's going to know. And then it's going to get worse because I'm not going to get blessed. I'm going to get cursed. And she says, no, no, no. Don't worry about that. Look, this is what she says in verse 13. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. And so Jacob obeys his mom. And he dresses up like Esau, 
And this is one of the strangest parts of the story. He puts animal skins on his arms. I, I don't know how you fall for that, but he puts animal skins. At this point, you think Isaac's probably losing it a little bit. Like it wasn't just his eyes that were struggling here. I think there were some other things happening. He didn't pick up on a lot that was going on. But anyways, he puts on these animal skins and then he puts on Esau's clothes and he walks into the room where his dad is carrying this meal, this delicious meal that his mom had prepared. And his dad says this in verse 18. He says, Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I mean, those are the words that Jacob had wanted to say his entire life. I am Esau, your firstborn. And, and Isaac is immediately confused because, first of all, he's thinking, I just sent Esau out to go get some food. And how did you hunt it down, cook it, bring it here? How, how did this happen so quickly? What, what are you talking about? And Jacob lies on the spot like it was natural. He just says, oh, the Lord blessed me. The Lord gave me success. And so Isaac doesn't immediately fall forward. He reaches out and grabs his hand and he feels his hand and he says that, it feels like the hands of Esau, but it's the voice of Jacob. And so he asked him one more time. He said, are you sure you're my son Esau? And he says, I am. I am. See, Jacob had to dress up and become someone else in order to get the blessing. Jacob had to lie about his identity and say he was somebody he wasn't in order to get the favor of his father. And it's what we do. We dress up to try to get the blessing. We dress up to, to try to get the favor of God, right? We put on clothes that, that are not our own. We dress up and declare that I'm so-and-so. I'm, I'm this person. When in the back of your mind, you know you're not. You know you're not the person that you're dressing up to pretend like you really are, but, but you're willing to stand up and declare it and say, this is who I am. I am Esau, the firstborn. I am a good parent. I am a mercy servant. I, I am a faithful mother. I, I am a good friend. I am a justice seeker. I, I am what, whatever you fill in the blank, what, whatever you say, this is what I'm building my sense of identity around and my sense of worth and my sense of purpose to say, this is my way of getting in. But you know, and I know it's deception, it's manipulation, but more than anything, it's fear. I mean, we dress up because we're afraid. I mean, we portray strength on the outside because on the inside, we're afraid of who we really are. We're afraid that someone might find out what's, what's really going on, right? And so on the inside, we're, we're like Jacob begging, God, would you please bless me too? I, I look and I see you're blessing these people, so maybe if I dress up and I look like what they're looking like, then maybe you'll bless me too because deep down, you're afraid he won't. You're afraid that he doesn't care about you like he cares about other people. You're afraid that he'll look and he'll see your sin and your brokenness and your failures. And rather than bless you, he'll curse you. Because he'll see who you really are. He'll see who you really are. Do you, do you see that fear? 
Do you see the fear that, that drives us to hide and drives us to manipulate? It drives us for identity. Well, the greatest lie is that when you try to steal it, it never satisfies. It doesn't. What's fascinating is right after this in chapter 32 of Genesis, uh, you know the famous scene where Jacob wrestles with God? Jacob gets, gets tackled by God. One day we'll be able to get to that text. That'll be fun. But he gets tackled by God. He's wrestling with God. And somehow in the middle of the wrestle, he gets God pinned down for a moment. And what does Jacob say? He says, I'm not going to let you go until you what? Bless me. This is after Jacob had already received what we're about to see. He's about to receive the blessing of his father. He's already stolen the blessing. And he says to God, I still need a blessing. Because Jacob knew that what he receives from Isaac is not real. What he receives from Isaac wasn't really about him. He stole it. It wasn't the real him. Isaac didn't even know what he's doing. And so he's desperately hungry for God's approval based not on some kind of stolen manipulation, but based on who Jacob really is. Who he is. See, the only way it satisfies is not if it's stolen, but if it's given. If it's given. And this is the last point, the promise of blessing. Look at what happens. After Isaac blesses Jacob, uh, Esau walks into the room in verse 32. And this is what happens in verse 32. It says, His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, indeed, he shall be blessed. I mean, this is incredible. Jacob receives this blessing, right? He receives this blessing of prosperity and honor and belonging, everything that Esau wanted his whole life, everything Esau expected. Esau expected that he would leave and, and come back and his father would pour out the blessing over him. And so he walks into the room with these high expectations that he's about to be the one who receives the favor. And to his shock, it's been stolen again. I mean, Jacob, just before this, had stolen his birthright, and now Jacob steals his blessing, and he's furious. Isaac begins to tremble in anger. The Bible says later on that, that Esau started to plot to kill his brother Jacob. Jacob's going to have to flee to try to save his life because Esau's running after him, trying to kill him. I mean, it's a disaster. And you've got to ask yourself, why in the world would Isaac not just take it back? Right? That's what Esau says. Well, Father, it, it was clearly a mistake. Why can't you just take it back and, and bless me? And Isaac says, no. He says, yes, indeed, he shall be blessed. See, this was Isaac's moment of faith that the writer of Hebrews picks up on. He says, yes, indeed, he shall be blessed because this was the promise of God, right? When Esau and Jacob were born, God told Rebekah just a chapter or two before, he said this, he said, the older will serve the younger. This was the promise, the word of God that he gave to Rebekah and Isaac. And so the blessing was always designed for Jacob. The younger one was always supposed to get the blessing just as the blessings before went to the younger, right? You see that in Abel. Abel. It was Abel, not Cain, that got the blessing. It was Isaac, not Ishmael, that got the blessing. Now it's Jacob, not Esau, that gets the blessing. This was the way of the gospel. 
This was the upside down nature of grace that God had said, this is the way it's going to be. But Isaac didn't want it to be that way. Isaac wanted to try to force it. Isaac was was trying to create this secret ceremony where he could give the blessing to Esau and hopefully no one would notice before it's too late. And God came to him and said, no, 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 that's not how this is going to happen. I'm going to flip it like I told you it's going to happen. And when Isaac sees that it happened, despite his greatest efforts, this is Isaac's repentance. This is Isaac's moment of faith to say, I'm going to stop trying to force it. I'm going to believe in God's way of doing things. And so by faith, he's believing the promise that God blesses the undeserving. God blesses the weak. God blesses the failures. These are the ones who belong. These are the ones who are given the favor. These are the ones who are brought in to receive the Father's blessing. Because that's how faith works. Faith receives a blessing that it can't achieve. It can't achieve. Uh, Michael Jackson was the the king of pop, and uh, he began, if you know his his career, he began his career real young, real young as a child, singing and performing. And and if you look back on old footage when he was real young, you see just this exuberance of joy and passion and talent, and just from a very young age, incredible giftedness. And, And you see what looks as if a happy childhood. Now, if you know Michael Jackson's story, you go further along and he starts to open up about what was really going on in his life. And and he starts to open up about his father. And he says that actually his father never let him call him father, never let him call him dad. He always had to call him Joseph. And he said, my dad, who, who was also his coach, he said, Joseph would stand there at practice and and they'd be practicing their dance moves for the next upcoming performance and he would stand there with a belt in his hand and every time they'd make a wrong move, he'd hit him. Every time he'd make a wrong move, he'd hit him. And he said over and over all day long, Joseph treated me like this. And he said this, he said, Joseph never gave me a childhood. It was always work, work, work. I wasn't a son I was a slave. Michael Jackson. He said, I had to become someone else to get my father's blessing. I had to perform in a certain way for my father to give me his favor. I I had to dress up and, and literally perform because that's the only way I could earn it. Listen, the gospel is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is that the blessing is is what we can't achieve. It has to be received. It has to be given. And so it can't be received unless someone else takes your place. Someone else performs on your behalf. And, And this is what Rebecca alludes to. Rebecca is alluding to the gospel when she gives the promise to her son. She says, let the curse fall on me. Jesus is the one who says that. Jesus is the one who says, like Rebecca, he says, I will take the curse and I will perform for you and I will take upon you all of your junk and all of your failures. In other words, I'll dress up like you. I'll dress up in your clothes of sin. I'll dress up in your clothes of shame. He was dressed in our guilt. He was dressed in our rebellion. He was dressed in our arrogance, our greed, our injustice. He was dressed like us so that he could be judged for us. He was dressed like us so that he could take the wrath 
that we deserved to take the curse that was upon us. Why? So that we could have His blessing. So that we could be clothed in His righteousness. We could be clothed in His love, in His assurance, in His favor, in His blessing. There's this fascinating uh, part in Hebrews in chapter 12 where the, the church is described in, in Hebrews chapter 12 like this. It says, the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Now, ask yourself, how in the world can you have a whole family, a whole church family of all firstborns? There's only one firstborn unless it's the gospel. See, in the gospel... The way everybody is a firstborn is because everyone is found in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is not just God forgives you, but God brings you in and you belong because you are now part of Christ. You you are united to Christ. You you are brought in to be near to Him. You, You are in the status of the firstborn, so every single person who puts their faith in Jesus has the blessing and the favor of the firstborn. Do you see that? That the way of the gospel is to bring them in so that God enjoys, He sees, and He loves each of us as He loved His Son, Jesus, with an identity that we didn't deserve, one that we didn't achieve, but we receive. See, if anything is clear from this story, it's this. Not a single one of them deserved the blessing. Isaac didn't deserve it. Rebecca didn't deserve it. Esau didn't deserve it. Jacob didn't deserve it. All of them were sinful. All of them were broken. All of them were manipulating. It was atrocious sin, just like you and me. But the good news of the gospel is that the blessing is given. It's not achieved. The good news of the gospel is it's this word that is spoken over you. That's what we mean by justification. It's a declaration spoken over you that you didn't achieve so that you can have it by grace. See, every single person in this story, every single person in this room is the perfect candidate for grace. For grace. For the blessing. And so the question is, are you living under that blessing? Are are you living clothed in Jesus' identity? Because Jesus dressed up like you in your sin so that you could get dressed up like him in his beautiful identity. That's the good news. But we have to live it. We have to live in that blessing. The one we didn't earn. The one that was given. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so uh, overwhelmed by the fact that you would dress up with our curse so that we could be dressed in your blessing. What an amazing gift where Rebecca says it out of her manipulation and you say it out of your love. You say it out of your kindness and your grace and your sacrifice. You say it as a promise that no matter what happens to us, we are found in you, the firstborn. And so God, we have your favor that's undeniable. We have your favor, favor that's unshakable. We have favor that can't be broken. Not because of us, but because of you. And God, that's the way we endure. That's the way that we can make it through whatever comes our way, knowing that it's not a statement of whether we are blessed or not. That can't change. Our status as your firstborn children will never change. And so whether we're on the mountaintop or the valley, whether we have cancer or perfect health, 
whether our relationships are broken or healed, whatever it may be, God, we are blessed. We are blessed. And so, God, don't, don't allow us to continue to dress up. Let us be content with the clothes you've given us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.